0: second of our series in Malachi, Malachi chapter 1. As I mentioned last time, the the books kind of split up into these uh, disputes between Israel and God, and so we come to the second of these disputes. Malachi chapter 1, that's page 801 in your Black Bibles, or if you've got one of a large print, it's page 953. Malachi chapter 1, starting at verse 6, and we'll read all the way to 2, verse 9. Let's listen to God's words to us. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who had shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I Have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you. but you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, as the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Amen. What does a life lived for God actually look like? I don't think we can be a Christian. You can be a Christian for very long without asking that kind of question. You know, I've heard the gospel. I've heard, I've heard that God loves me so much that he, he sent his son Jesus, who died for my sins and is alive again. He's the King of Kings. I've given my life to him. I'm I'm clinging on to him. Well, what does that begin to look like day by day? How do I worship him? Well, Malachi—it's a book that seeks to begin to answer that question. So here in chapter 1, God, God moves from that wonderful truth that we saw out last week, that God, uh, uh, that his people are loved. Remember that, they're loved. Uh, and he moves to opening up, well then how should we relate to him? If he's loved us so wonderfully, what then does it look like to worship him? And this question gets to the heart of life, doesn't it? We, we love to be loved, our hearts are, are warmed and delighted by it, So so don't we just want to, you know, respond in return to God rightly? Don't we just want to come to him as he deserves? I suppose in relation to this morning's sermon, what is Christ-likeness? What's that going to look like? For a lot of us this evening, we've, we've been a Christian for many years. And Malachi's answer at first might seem quite straightforward. But let this this would be a bit of a wake-up call, I suppose, a health check, because it's amazing how easy it is to get complacent, just like Israel, because the shock is that Israel has, has got it all wrong here, and so God starts with reminding them where worship begins, and it's as simple as this, honor God, honor God. Verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. We're deeply loved by God in Christ. Well, what what should our relationship with him look like? And the the answer's clear, it's honor. Our, our, Our hearts should be set on God's honor all because of who he is, and and here God points us to human relationships that are uh, are based upon his to us, so father and son, master and servant, those relationships, they're like kind of little pictures of what our relationship to God should be like, and to call himself father, well, this is one of the greatest, uh, this is the greatest glory in the gospel, isn't it? This is the wonderful result of us being loved, that in in Christ we're adopted into the family of God. We're children of God, sons of God with Christ. It's the the most wonderful reality for us as Christians. As we're united to Christ, so we become children of God. We come to know him as our heavenly father. And what does his fatherhood look like? Well, it's, it's one of love towards us, isn't it? He cares for us deeply. He's generous to us. He protects us. He disciplines and provides for us. All things we experience comes from his fatherly hand. He's working all things for our goods. Fathers, we know that they're in a position of honor. Now with earthly fathers, we know we can at times live up to that honor. We can be worthy of the position. We can provide and care for our family with gentleness and dignity. But we know often we don't. We bring the position into disrepute. But with God. Not only does he have the position of honor, he lives up to it. He's utterly worthy. He's our generous father. And so don't we want to honor him? And he also uh, calls himself master. Now here we see a different side of him. He's the, the almighty, the one of power and authority. He, he isn't our equal. He's not our mate. No, he's over and above us. He's the, the, glor- he's the God of glory. He says in, in verse 14, he's the great king. In other words, he's the one that all the other kings would obey, the one they bring tribute to. And so he's due fear and reverence. You know, we stand before him, yes, as his children, but also knowing he's an all-consuming fire. He's not safe. He rules over all, over every living thing. He has the right to give and the right to take away, our master. And as we imagine his throne, the seat of power, so we honor him. This is how it should be. Our Father, our Master who loves us. So our hearts are, are inflamed with honor for Him. We want to magnify Him, glorify Him. We we respect Him, we hold Him in reverence. Just take a moment to think. How honorable is God in your eyes. How wonderful is His majesty. How good are His qualities. as it relates to what we looked at last week as you as you know yourself to be loved are you simply taken aback by the fact that you are loved and that is a great thing or are you you taken aback because it's god who loves you it's this god it's your wonderful father your master cuz as we begin to get to, uh, um, as we begin to get how great god is we begin to get to know how much he deserves. And it's our honor. We honor God's. But the next question that comes to mind is, well, how, isn't it? How? How do I honor him? It's quite a vague word, isn't it? Honor. What does it look like? What does it look like in my heart, in my life? And what we get here in Malachi 1 and 2 is a, is a picture, actually, of the opposite of when it goes wrong. What we see here is a negative example. God's people had let the honor in their hearts, slit big time, particularly the priests, the leaders of worship. The eyes of their hearts had lowered. They'd taken their gaze off God so much that that God calls them those that despise his name. It's it's got that bad. And you could see it. We could see it in their sacrifices. God had told them they were despising him. They weren't showing him the honor he was due. They, They obviously couldn't believe it. They're like, end of verse six, well, how have we despised you? Surely not us, God. We we honor you. Verse 7, God replies, by offering polluted food upon my altar. We still don't get it. You know, how have we polluted you? And then verse 8, he expands it more. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. It's important to know, God in his word, he's commanded pure sacrifices, animals that had no defect, the best, your, your best goat or lamb, your prize bull, this is what God expected and had commanded, this is what worship was to, uh, to look like. But, but instead, they were skimping, they were keeping the best for themselves, God, what, he got the lame, the sick, the blind, the ones the, the farmers were happy to part with, the ones perhaps they get less cash for, the priests commanded to lead God's people in pure worship, were allowing this. They were, they were the ones sacrificing these animals against God and against his honor. And this, these sacrifices, well, they give us a window, a window into what worship is meant to look like, what honor is meant to look like. Now when it comes to sacrifices, we know things have changed, changed with the coming of Jesus. This, this table behind me is not an altar, We don't have a set group of priests. You guys aren't bringing your pet lamb this evening to be slaughtered and burnt, okay? It's all changed. Well, Why? We know because Jesus has come, because he died as the perfect sacrifice, the lamb who was slain, slain for the sins of his people. But even though that's the case, God's rebuke here of the Israelite sacrifices, it still gives us a window, a window into what new covenant worship looks like because it reveals our hearts. Now, to help us, we're gonna split up the Old Testament sacrifices in, in two ways, uh, because Jesus fulfills the sacrifices differently, and, and as we do, we'll get an insight into how, this, uh, how to honor. And it's firstly, by trusting his son, and secondly, by giving him our best. Trusting his son and giving him our best. Now, trusting his son might seem a strange thing to say, this is all about how we honor God as our father. Why would honoring God look like trusting his son? Well, let's get into what's going on with Israel. As part of their their sacrificial system, they made what was called sin offerings. These were the offerings that were uh, given to take away sin, to atone for what the people had done wrong. The priest would would lay his hands upon the bull, showing the transfer of, of sins of the person onto the animal and then the animal was killed. It was a substitute. It had died uh, rather, for the sin rather than the person. And it was an act of trust for that person. It was saying, I, I trust you, God, that you're taking away my sin on this, uh, this sacrifice. That in this sacrifice, I'm forgiven. But to offer a rubbish sacrifice, to offer something that was you know, kind of there. You know, well, it says something profound about what you think is going on. It actually mocks Jesus. Well, how can it do that since he hadn't come yet at these sacrifices? Well, we need to remember that these sacrifices in the Old Testament they were pointing forward, pointing forward to the perfect sacrifice um, that that was needed—the death of Jesus, a death in our place. We know he's the true substitute. That the the death of a bull could never really uh, pay uh, in my place. So these sacrifices in the book of Malachi, they're they're pointing actually to the gospel. They're a shadow of the real thing. They teach us something vital about Jesus and the purity of his sacrifice. That's why God had commanded the offering of a a perfect animal because Jesus offered his perfect life. As it says in Hebrews, using Old Testament language, Christ was offering himself without blemish to God. And so to offer this kind of fourth-rate. You know, lame sacrifice was to say, "I don't really need to trust in a sacrifice. I don't. I don't need to do things God's way." So it says, "I don't need Jesus. I don't need to trust Him to take away my sins. I don't need Him to be that great." And so Israel's worship had completely lost its way. It become kind of whatever they want it to be. So my terms, I come to God however I want. If it's by lame sacrifice, it's by that. And the thing is, our hearts can actually be quite similar. Our worship can, can scorn and mock the Son, just like them. We can treat Jesus just as a bit of a lame, blind, sick sacrifice, not a beautiful, righteous, spotless one. How? Well, I wonder if it's in two opposite ways of living. One way is to think... What we do is, is actually good enough for God's. God's standard, it's actually not too high. I'm doing pretty well. I've done enough. You know, if someone asked you this evening why God should let you into heaven, well, your, your answer, I've been good enough, thanks. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm a good person. Now, that might be you if you came in this evening and you just had a moment looking around, perhaps at someone nearby, and you, you just thought, at least, at least I'm not like them. And as we say that, we say, Jesus, you didn't need to die for me. The lame offering would have done. I, I can actually come to God on my own terms. Or, or rather than someone trying to be good, the same is also true of someone who's actually living in out-and-out out unashamed sin. They know it's wrong, but they just keep doing it anyway. And, and just like the good, uh, good works person, they're saying, I don't need to trust in the Son because actually sin doesn't matter. God doesn't care about my sin. I can live however I like. God just accepts me as I am. And as we do that, we say the same. Jesus didn't need to die for me. A lame offering would have done. And the honor that was due God, well, it's completely absent because we've rejected God's solution. I wonder if it can also creep into our gathered worship. You know what? Why bother with the Lord's Supper? Why bother with our weekly confession of sin? Why all this emphasis on Jesus and his death? Surely we just need to be reminded of God's love. And slowly, bit by bit, we stop trusting the Son. And actually, even though we're saying we want to focus on God more, we do the opposite. Our our hearts move away from him. They dishonor him. They make him in our own image. Why? Because honoring God, we honor God by trusting his Son We trust his son, his uh, means of of forgiveness, his his sacrifice. We rest on it. We come to him on his terms. We trust the son. There's something else uh, to see here. that The sacrifices of the Old Testament, they weren't just sin offerings. They're also grain offerings, peace offerings. Sacrifices made by the people not to atone for their sin, but to honor God, to thank him. And here we see honor is, is not just by trusting the son. It's also by giving him our best, giving him our best. And we see this again in the negative example of Israel. Israel were giving the lame, the blind, and the sick. Now, what they brought to God, God said not even their governor would have accepted it. Okay? you know, If they turned up to the gates and said, oh, most honorable governor, please accept my token of gratitude and respect. And, and then they kind of brought out this mangy lame animal the governor would have just slammed the gates in his face. You know, like, like, like imagine a, a kid giving her teacher a thank you present at the, at the end of the year. And rather than, you know, a nice bottle of wine and a, and a box of chocolates, uh, she gave him, I don't know, a half drunk bottle of fake Coke and a chewed piece of chewing gum. You know, that, that offering, it says so much about what we think about the person, doesn't it? You get a window into your hearts by what we give. And when it came to Israel, what they, that they gave said everything about what they thought about their gods. Yeah, it was worthy of a bit, their sacrifices said. You know, that, that animal offered it said, well, God, you're fine. You know, I'll shed you in in a couple of weeks for half an hour. Is that okay? Well, no, it's not Okay. God is insulted, dishonored. His name is rubbed in the dirt because he's, in fact, worth everything. He's our loving father. He's our powerful master. He's the king of kings who, who loved his people with steadfast covenantal love. Honor is about giving him the best. You know, he deserves the most wonderful animal in your flock. You know, if he was our teacher, he'd deserve an all-expenses-paid trip to Florida. We'd give him our best. As we've said in the New Covenant, we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. But the New Testament still uses the language of sacrifice for what we do with our lives. Like giving our money is called a sacrifice. Praise of our lips is too. Paul even goes so far as to say our whole lives is actually a sacrifice. Listen to Romans twelve. I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your sacrificial worship. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's it's an offering of our whole lives, all that we are. So it's not just our money and our words, it's our our desires and our loves, it's the use of our time, it's who we sleep with, it's how much we drink, it's our, our thought life, it's what we look at on our phones, and this is because we're now in Christ. He, he died, and so we die too. We die to ourselves. And instead, we offer our whole beings to God. This is Christ transforming every aspect of our lives. And so this is our worship. It's a whole life offered to God. This isn't to pay for our sins. Now that was done by Jesus. Now, this is a, a life of honor to the one who loves us. And this comes together as a, as a family on the Lord's day, doesn't it, when we come to worship him, as we lift up his praises together, as we join in the worship around the heavenly throne. We're led by Christ himself. And if we take the old covenant sacrifices as our model, what are we to offer him? The best, the pure. Now, we know our lives and Sunday services, what, as we offer them to God, we know they're never going to be perfect, don't we? We know that. God knows that. They're always tainted with sin. And that means they're only ever acceptable at, at all to God in view of his mercy because they're, they're made in and through Jesus Christ, God's perfect son. But that doesn't mean they don't matter God's digging under the surface at our hearts, and there we begin what we think of, to see what we think of God. You know, if we looked at our lives, what would it say about the God we're offering it to? You know, let's just say you, you gave unlimited access to, to, to a magazine journalist for a few months. You know, they, they went with you wherever you went, they saw how you spent your money, what you talked about, what big big decisions you made how you parented, how you studied, what you did on a Sunday. And after they saw all that, what would they write about your God? Would they see his honor, his worth, his glory and majesty? Would they see he means everything to you? Or would they see he was someone was, He was pretty low on your priorities? He kind of comes alongside doing the dishes and watching Netflix. It's challenging, isn't it? Are we giving him our best? Are you giving him the best of your day? The best of your future? The best of your praise? It's hard to be specific about what this looks like, doesn't it? But I think, I wonder if we see it by what we consider first. You know, as you plan your week or your summer, as you plan your spending or your friendships, where's God in it all? What are you valuing? What are you ambitious for? Now, some of us are feeling perhaps guilty right now who may not need to, and some of us might not be feeling guilty who perhaps should be. You know, some of you right now are gutted every time your life doesn't quite match God's standards. Your, your sin is before you. You know where you've given less than he deserves. Perhaps just this morning you said sorry to him because you know you wanted to pray to him more, but you didn't. Now Remember, God loves offerings from a heart that seeks to honor him, even if we don't always get it right. He cares about your heart more than your actions because that's where it starts. Your actions will more and more overflow from your heart. So, so right now, if that's you, rest in Christ and his sin offering. Trust in his son for forgiveness. He is at work in you. He's making you more like him. He is growing the honor of your heart, Be encouraged, not convicted. But others of us, the excuses might have actually started to already roll in. You know, wow, oh, steady on. We, we know we don't want to be extreme about things, you know. We don't need to be too religious. I'm, I'm British, you know. We do everything kind of in a mediocre kind of way. And and God should be the same, you know, I pray a bit, I read my Bible a bit, I invest in my church a bit, you know, surely that's enough. We start comparing, yep, but I'm doing better than they are, aren't I? They don't even have a Bible. Or we start compartmentalizing, look look, God, I I give you my Sunday evenings, and and I don't get drunk. But but the the gambling on the side, or the the porn addiction, that relationship, it's It's just a little thing. You know, let's just agree that's my thing and the rest is yours. But how do we honor God as he deserves? Well, by trusting his son and giving him the best. And the stakes are high because ignoring the son and giving God the least, well, it's pointless. And more than that, it might actually mean you're not one of God's at all. Just look at how God responds, verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Shut it down, he says. Better to have nothing than to have this pathetic bottom-rate offering. This is shocking, isn't it? God is saying the temple doors should be closed. You know, that, that building, God's people had longed to be rebuilt after the exile. And finally it was there, and it's the place where God and man come close, and God says, shut the doors. Just imagine that said about us. You know, you come to church one Sunday, and you just find those doors locked. And a big notice sits on the door, locked by command of God. Better you didn't worship than keep doing what you've been doing. God was utterly serious. It had got bad. In chapter 2, he threatens curses. Verse 2, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. It's really stark language, isn't it? It's pretty horrible, especially that stuff about the dung. But God, the one who's been dishonored, well, he's, he's actually shaming his priests here. Dung on them would make them, you know, these guys who are meant to be the holy ones, well, it would make them unclean. They'd be cut off, and this worship would stop. Why? Because God's honor is at stake. Verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God is to be honored. He would rather know worship than worship than dishonors him. God seeking worshipers that trust his son and gives him in their hearts. And surely this is true from our perspective as well. You know, if if your life that you're living now suggests you think Jesus shouldn't have died, there's no point, and that actually God isn't worth your all, then why bother? Why give your life to honoring a pointless sacrifice and a lame God? But if God's worth it, If his his name really is great in all the nations, then surely he deserves our all. That's what we want to give him, isn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we, we just grew as a church in this more and more in love and devotion to God, in honoring him? Now, we know we struggle. We know we're often far from perfect. We long to give him the honor he deserves more and more. Well, how do we get there? Well, to finish, it's this. It's by his word. This is just chapter 2 from verse 4. It's by his word. This is it's the last thing I want us to see this evening. And shutting the temple is God's last resort. He actually wants his people to worship him as he should. He wants his priests, he wants them, verse 4, to live as Levi did, to live in honor and fear. And it starts with his word. Do you see that verse 6? Speaking about Levi, he says, true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is what the priests had got wrong. They'd lost what God said. They'd lost truth. They'd lost what was real about God and about themselves. They needed the truth of God's word. That's how we get back on track. That's how we, we honor God as he deserves. We let true instruction take root. We let God's covenantal words of love point us to his, his holiness and his glory, his fatherhood and his kingship. We need God to renew our minds. And here we see that that requires teachers. Now, we don't have priests like this anymore. But the church does have pastor teachers, people entrusted with guarding the good deposit handed down to them, entrusted with preaching in season and out of season. This is a challenging word for for David, Sinclair, and myself. God has decided to reform the worship of his church through his word. That's where it begins. Each Sunday he speaks to us, he encourages us, he rebukes us. he, He shines a light on his glory and on his son by his spirit. So for me, my my time and my study matters. Working hard to to listen to the Lord in Scripture, to to teach it faithfully matters. God's honor is at stake. But this is also a word to, to many of us who take on teaching roles in the church. You know, adult Sunday school, children's Sunday school, student suppers, Bible study leading at uni, teaching your children at home. Feed them with God's word instruct them, that that leads them in a way that honors him. And for all of us, may we be hungry for that. May we be hungry for the word. May we feed on what God has for us. Why? Because it will recalibrate our hearts. It will turn us towards our heavenly father, the one who says, I've loved you. The one who sent his son for us and has given us his spirit. And as our hearts are filled more and more with him, so we will honor him, so we will honor him as he deserves, trusting his son and giving him our best. In his name, amen.